1: Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ.
0: In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century, join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together.
2: Hey, Joel, how's it going? Pretty good, Matt. How about you?
0: You know, I'm doing all right. It's been a long... I'm 46. It's been a long 46 years, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. Uh, Y'all will uh, recognize Joel's voice. He's joined us before on the Gravity Podcast. He's a pastor, mental health professional, um, and a writer who's uh, been published on various online platforms, religious news services, etc. He's also a friend and Joel came uh, up to Indianapolis a few weeks ago and we had breakfast together. Yeah. A really a really tasty breakfast. Mhm. Mhm. And at the time, you remember the I think we pieced it together it was uh, the day after maybe or a few days after the Nashville shooting.
2: That's correct. Yeah, we were chopping it up in that regard, just lamenting and I think that that's a spiritual discipline that's missing in the church is lament. As we yes. consider the various things that are going on around us,
0: yeah, well we and there's a lot to lament these days, and mm-hmm. but little did we know in that moment that um you know a week later uh, the thing that happened in Nashville would happen in your city yes,, um, and there was a young man who uh, named Connor who walked into a bank mm-hmm. uh, and and did a, a a mass shooting. Could you just speak a bit about um How that impacted your area of the city and the people that you pastor and the people that you counsel?
2: Well, I think that essentially people had this idea of not us. You know, we've often imagined something like that happening elsewhere. And it really hit home that that happened in Louisville. And I think that. It was, in effect, a wake-up call for those of us who have somehow been disconnected from what's going on around the country. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, a few days later, a week later, there was another shooting.
2: Yes. Yes. Chickasaw Park. In fact, here in Louisville on the West End, there was a mass shooting. And let's not forget that on the same day on which the first one took place, there was another shooting that occurred downtown near JCTC, which is our local community college. Mm. And I think one of the things that gets lost in our discussion is the fact that though mass shootings are disturbing, though they garner a lot of media attention, they are only one slice of the gun violence problem in our country. And, right. and so you have, for instance, people dying every day in primarily black and brown communities that are living in poverty. And we don't see the news oftentimes covering those incidents.
0: Right. Yeah. Unless, Unless it's to scapegoat them.
2: That's right. That's right, right, right.
0: So I, mm-hmm. I can, so I only care about poor people ca- killing mm-hmm. poor people mm-hmm. if if it's if it's black people killing black
2: people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right. right. And and you know, you, you you mentioned black people killing black people. You know, some years ago, someone coined the term "black on black crime" or "black right. on black violence," and that is, in my estimation, an inherently racist term. And I'll tell you why. Say more. What, what, yeah. yeah, why is that? Yeah. Specifically because if a crime were to occur in a suburban area, an affluent area that is primarily white, and the parties involved in that crime were white, we don't call that white-on-white violence or white-on-white crime. Why not? Because.
0: <laughs> why, why not, Joel? <laughs> yeah, I'll, te-
2: I'll tell you why. Because of this issue and this notion of white privilege. That seeks to hmm. hold up the interest of white people, that seeks to portray the things that white people do in a certain way, but yet yeah. portray the things that African-Americans and other persons of color, what they do is portrayed in a totally different way. And so there is an agenda involved with that term black-on-black crime.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and and it also elides—I forget who I read uh, learned this from, but um, I know that I learned it from someone. I just want to acknowledge most of the things I say I've learned from other people. (laughs) But um, that that, uh, one of the things that black-on-black violence um, obscures Mm -hmm. is that people tend to commit violence against people they live close to. Duh. And so— and so, when you have generational, historical, mm-hmm. geographical, real estate, uh, kind of redlining, mm-hmm. uh, bl- black neighborhoods being uh, organized and designed to contain black people and mm-hmm. keep them f- out of white neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and and you have neighborhoods being built that are... Um, Uh, like suburb neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. The white suburban mom we hear about during election time. Mm -hmm. Um, Most crime is going to be committed by people in your same uh, socioeconomic demographic.
2: Of course. Right?
0: So it it also obscures that as though though black people living around black people is different than white people living around white people.
2: Or Or it's morally deficient. You know, this whole idea that black and brown people— are somehow morally inferior to whites and that that yeah. is the primary reason why there's such crime in urban communities or in poor communities.
0: Yes. I was also thinking about this. I know that we, we were going to try to set up this whole conversation and I know we've already rabbit trailed Joel, but it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was thinking about the responses to, um, to the Nashville school shooting. Mm-hmm. Um or uh the shooting Connor shooting the bank mm-hmm. or um you know uh shots being fired um and churches, right? Right. Things like that. Um usually the call to stop mass shootings in those communities mm-hmm. is to is more guns, right? Mm-hmm. So so you arm the teachers. Right. And you arm all the bank tellers. And you arm even the students, right? Right. Do you Do you know what mass shootings don't get calls for more guns and more people's hands?
2: What's that?
0: When it's a black neighborhood.
2: Ah. Yeah. You
0: don't hear those people saying, you know what we need to do? Yeah. We need to go to that black neighborhood and make sure everybody has a gun.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You never hear that. Never hear Why?
0: that. Why? Why? <laughs> now this gets to where I want to have this conversation, right? Because I want to I want to say that this narrative of uh, more guns equals more safety, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about why it isn't true, uh, mm-hmm. sort of empirically. But mm-hmm. I think it's inherently racist. It is. It is because because only only white people and people trading on whiteness get to have
2: guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you go back to the Mofort Act in California when Ronald Reagan was oh, the yes. governor. Remember the Black Panther Party, they were seeking to assert their Second Amendment rights and they were open carrying assault rifles. And nobody had a problem with persons doing such a thing as long as they were white. But when the Black Panthers began to do it, then all of a sudden, Mr. Reagan and the NRA conspired to employ stricter gun laws in California. Now, when's the last time you heard about the NRA seeking to employ stricter gun laws? <laughs> it only happens when it involves black or brown people.
0: That's that is true and um uh, something else. So, the other reason there's been so many things that have happened. And mm. so I want to I want to talk about the NRA for a second because they were just in my city this past weekend. Uh-huh. Their national convention was here. Mike Pence was here. Mm-hmm. you might have, you might have seen uh, news stories or quotes about this convention. Mm-hmm. Something I didn't know about the NRA convention until this weekend, Joel, mm-hmm. was that they don't allow concealed or open carry <laughs> inside the convention. <laughs> Uh-huh. Now, now let's pause for a second. All we hear from the NRA right is that is that the only way to a respect our freedoms and liberties and rights uh-huh. and b be more safe right. is c to have more people have more guns.
2: Uh-huh. Right.
0: And this is how we can tell that they don't believe it. Mhm. Mm -hmm. Because if there's anybody who knows how to use a gun, it's an NRA person. That's right. And guess who doesn't get to have a gun Mm -hmm. inside the NRA convention?
2: Mm. Who is that?
0: It's the NRA people. Wow.
2: They know. How ironic. They know, Joel. How ironic. Joel, they know. Mm -hmm.
0: They know that more guns equals more danger. They
2: do. They know it. They do. They do. It, it, It really is nonsensical, that irony that we see there. And I think we need to also talk about how the NRA has responded to black and brown people who have yes. sought to assert their Second Amendment, Second Amendment right. For instance, Philando Castile,
1: oh, right,
2: speak in on it. that vehicle. Speak on it. he very kindly told that police officer, look, I'm, I'm licensed to own this gun. I have a gun here. And what happens to him? He gets shot to death. And then, the NRA, rather than speaking out strongly against what happened and and seeking to affirm that all persons have that fundamental right to bear arms, they were very quiet, they were very pitiful in their lack of response.
0: Yeah. was oh, such a—I tra- mean, it's such a—it's it's sort of so—it's stark and bald-faced mm-hmm. how— high handedly gratuitous
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's a facade, right, Joel, It's just mm-hmm. a facade mm-hmm. it's none of it's real, mm-hmm. none of it's real in terms of it's not a principled position because no. you see it with banning guns at the convention or not sending up to flando Castile mm-hmm. or passing passing uh carry laws in California when black people have the guns. I mean mm-hmm. you just see it right mm-hmm. so we yeah, so I, so this is why we had this conversation is because I, I I don't think. I I don't think there's sobriety and clarity mm-hmm. about how these words and phrases and concepts get thrown around mm-hmm. and, and weaponized. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think we we see it, and by we I mean most white folk. Mm-hmm. We 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 have to learn how to see it mm-hmm. versus l- see it by by way of survival mm-hmm. or you know.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and an way. example of what you're talking about is the term law and order, right? That is something that's been weaponized against poor people, against people of color, right? And it's interesting how some of the same people who cry law and order as it relates to predominantly African-American communities, when there is disorder or when there is lawlessness within their ranks, either they have nothing to say about it or they seek to justify it. And so, again, it's really about law and order for thee and not for me. In other words, we want to control, we want to dominate black and brown communities, communities of color in in impoverished (sighs) areas to the extent that they are kept in check and that our power is maintained. And so really when the term law and order is used, it is used to promote fear mongering as it pertains to larger urban settings like Chicago. Right. You've heard Chicago, that term being invoked. Right. That city being invoked uh, in political uh, discourse simply because there is a desire to demean and demoralize communities of color areas in which there are there is a high concentration of black and brown people. Uh, and it's ironic to me, and it's tragic how persons like Mr. Trump and others will vilify and will stigmatize such cities. Why? Simply because they have a high concentration of black and brown people. You go yeah. back to the big lie uh, that he has spread. Uh, he was alleging, uh and really he was lying flat out that there were irregularities that there was a lack of voter integrity in these primarily black and brown yep. cities and so when when you talk about law and order you got to go back to governor george wallace you got to go back to bull connor and others during the jim crow era who used the same term for the same reason again, to vilify black and brown people and to exploit fear. You know, uh, what we've been seeing, and and, and I don't mean to imply Mm -hmm. that the left has no problems, right? Yeah. But what we've been seeing on the right is this consistent vilification of people who are the other. And particularly in this context, we're talking about black and brown people or poor people is that there is this all-out attack on such people, and uh, there is this desire to uh, score political points, to exploit people's fears, many of which are irrational, uh, such that uh, these communities are vilified and such that they maintain their political power.
0: Yes, yes. As though crime only exists in a black or brown community. Right. As though the people cr- crying law and order aren't being indicted on thirty-four counts, it, felony counts exactly. in New York State. Exactly. Right. As though, as though, uh, you know, I mean, uh, so law and order is a is a dog whistle. It's a
2: dog whistle. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and what what does that mean? What is, what is a dog whistle? How, and how do they function, Joel? Like, yeah. Um, for those of us maybe un- who've heard the term but are unfamiliar, how would you describe a dog whistle?
2: Yeah, so a dog whistle <laughs> is something that is coded language, uh, something that on its surface may appear to be benign to certain people. But yeah. when you peel back the layers of meaning and you look at the context and the connotation, uh, such things are meant to signal to certain people that other people need to be treated a certain way or that other people need to be viewed a certain way. Let me give you a specific example. So uh, a man named Lee Atwater, uh, who was largely responsible for crafting the ideological perspectives of the current Republican Party, he was responsible for how people did campaigning, right? And he infamously uh, was recorded uh talking about how you know we can no longer say the n word to refer yep. to certain people we can no longer say this or that but we can refer to other individuals in such a way that it's nicer and it's benign but yet it's equally as racist right yeah. so so yeah. so when we talk about the inner city one one of the uh, reasons why I don't even like the term is that the term was weaponized to to basically yeah. mean black people, to basically mean brown people, to basically mean poor people, right? And so yep. uh, Atwater and others like Paul Wyrick, uh, they were strategic in how they framed their dog whistles. And those mm-hmm. dog whistles Are used very uh, cavalierly by individuals who have no clue as to their origin. They have no clue as to the agenda that is behind those terms.
1: And now, a word from a sponsor The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12 month cohort based training in practical spiritual formation where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com formation.
2: All right, let's get back into our conversation.
0: The Atwater quote that you that you read is is really famous. But basically, they're saying we can no longer be we can no longer be blatant Nazis, mm-hmm. but we have to use other phrases. Like mm-hmm. "Law and Order" came out of Nixon's campaign. We have right. to use phrases like "Law and Order," mm-hmm. like and this is an older one: "States' Rights." States' like, Rights. Oh this this my is, goodness! Yeah, we've, this we've is an older p- one. Put a
2: pin there. Yeah.
0: America first. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like all of these, all of these phrases mm-hmm. are tr- are signaling to people, mm-hmm. I'm in your camp, right? And we can't speak the way that Nazis speak in public, mm-hmm. or else we'll lose other people we need. Mm-hmm. And and this this sounds like a conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. except except strategists are telling us this uh-huh. is what they did.
2: Right. <laughs> they're, they're telling us. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, there's another guy named Christopher Ruffo who has done yeah, the very yeah. same thing with the term critical race theory. You know, yeah, he said yeah. specifically that I want to attach anything that's seen as being bad, anything that's seen mm-hmm. as being racist or whatever. I want to attach it to the term CRT. And he has been quite successful in his campaign.
0: Yeah, 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 and this is important uh, for the conversation because um, uh, there's a lot of, I'd say, static and white noise mm-hmm. um, with with around guns and gun ownership mm-hmm. and and the Second Amendment, law and order, rights and freedoms. Mm-hmm. These are all dog whistles mm-hmm. that are doing work beyond just I'm a principled. I, I, I love the constitution. This is a mm-hmm. principled position for
2: mm-hmm. me, right?
0: Right. Right. That's not really what's going on here. No. That's not really, No, that's not really the conversation. Um, so I want to talk about what we do as Christians in the face of gun violence. And I, I want to share with you something that happened to me and I'm, I'm not sure I shared this with you yet, Joel. Okay. Um, I, I posted on, um, the the young man Connor, I'm I'm blanking on his last name. The man that shot,
2: yeah, I, I and can't, killed I don't have it in front of me.
0: In in Louisville,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I I posted just the headline. The headline said something about um, that he was an ex varsity high school athlete, mm-hmm. and that he had been fired from the bank. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a picture, a really nice picture of him, right? And later, later, I put and he killed six people and injured six more. Mm-hmm. Later, I posted a picture of Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. who didn't kill anyone, right? Who was twelve? Yep, playing in a park, and uh, the New York Post had that glowing headline for Connor, and then for Travion Martin, it had uh, investigators say traces of marijuana found in system. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right.
0: And I was, and I, I just posted Connor's picture and the headline mm-hmm. as saying, "This is how whiteness works."
2: Right, right. That's right. exactly in, how it works
0: immediately we have sympathy mm-hmm. we want to understand mm-hmm. Connor mm-hmm. we want to empathize with Connor we mm. want to humanize Connor mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, but black brown I would say Muslim mm-hmm. um, I would say in the to some degree any other kind of person any except other. sort of a a white man, mm-hmm. a white cisgendered man. Right. Um, gets gets uh vilified, mm-hmm. right? Demonized. Mm-hmm. I said, This is how whiteness works. Well, I got a DM. I got uh two DMs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I worked at a church where Connor went.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He and his family came after I left, but tons of the people that I knew at that church knew him.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his parents. Right.
0: And here's maybe even more to the point of why this was uh, a place of reflection for me, is that I'm friends with a lot of those people on social media. Mm-hmm. And I I had grief for the six killed and the six injured.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And very, I don't know. I have very little grief left for for the people committing mass oh, sure. shooters. Oh, right. Me, <laughs> like, me too. I've got I've, I've got it sort of abstractly or yeah. you know on principle, but I don't right. really feel it. Mm-hmm. But but I have friends that like had Connor in their home prayed with Connor. Right. Pray uh, prayed for Connor.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like their kids were friends with Connor. Mhm. So they had this uh, whole other layer of how could the person that I knew do this
2: mm-hmm.
0: that that wasn't really on my radar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they were basically upset with me because I decided to politicize <laughs> what happened, right? Right. Uh-huh. And this this brought out a couple things. One is a black woman helped me understand that in some ways this is white people centering their feelings, exactly. Again, right? Okay. And right. I, anybody who's grieving. You know, if you or I have a friend that we can't fathom would do something like this, and they do it, we're going to have lots of feelings, Joel. Sure. So these people in my DMs, I don't begrudge them their feelings. I have no clue how hard this is to like work this out personally, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But but all that to say is I uh, I wasn't even saying that the things about Connor weren't true. Hmm. Hmm. I was just saying that um, we only get to empathize
2: with white shooters. That that's right. And and, and and notice how these two individuals were framed totally differently. And so Trayvon Martin, who at the time of his murder was a teenager. I don't remember specifically how old he was. I think he was twelve, I think. Twelve. I think he was older in his te- Was he? Yeah. I I think so. I think so. But regardless, uh we have seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have a situation where A white man who has committed this heinous act, he is portrayed as this privileged young man who grew up in New Albany, who went to an excellent high school, who was Mm. an athlete, right? And so they basically have given his resume with all the positive points about him. But yet, whenever an African-American male or another person of color is even suspected of doing something wrong, then people, white people usually, are involved in dehumanizing certain individ- individuals, and also basically making it so well they had to be on weed, they had to be on drugs, they were this, they were that. Uh, look at their criminal yeah. background, right? So there's always a um, a desire to to. Looked for something that would somehow disqualify that individual from being a good person, uh, and that's or from really, empathy,
0: from connection, from, from, from connection. understanding.
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. the The other part of this is so I understood their grief, but the other part of this is, um, and and I said this publicly. I don't think I would have made that statement with Connor if I'd known there were people personally grieving what Connor had done
2: mm-hmm.
0: within earshot,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right?
0: And a black woman was like, well, that's also how whiteness works, right? Because mm-hmm. what's more important is for you to protect white feelings mm-hmm. than it is for you to take a stand about how a white person is being used. Mm-hmm. And I, I thanked her for that. She's a good friend. I've learned a lot from her. Mm-hmm. I thanked her for that. But I do I do think still, Joel, there's something about... Yeah, and even as I think about this, I think it doesn't – it's not a good example. But I'm just going to say it because I love to be wrong in public. Okay. Um, (laughs) I can say to you, Mm -hmm. hey, man, marriage is hard. I know there's a lot of marriages that are on the rocks that are bad, but – in my marriage is hard. But it's still worth fighting for, and I I feel like I don't want to give up on marriage – Mm-hmm. Um, I and I know that I know you well enough to know you don't want to give up on your marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to be worried. We're not. We're not talking about that. Right. But then, in g- in general, marriage is worth fighting for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now I can say that here, and mm-hmm. in the context of this conversation, you take that as an exhortation and an encouragement, right? Mm-hmm. But if but if I'm walking past a room,
2: mm-hmm.
0: full of it's a support group, right? Full of women who suffered domestic violence uh-huh. and left their husbands. Uh-huh. And I peek my head in and I say, yeah, 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 I'm sure that was, I'm sure you had bad marriages, but really,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I just want to say, don't quit on marriage.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's doing different work, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's doing different work.
2: Context is everything.
0: And that's part of the issue with social media is that yes. like the context, you you think you can set a context, but then people receive what you're saying in their own context.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And you can't control that or see that or anticipate no. that. No. So I guess I guess I want to say, my friends, Didi. Dee was right to say that me apologizing to those white people is also how whiteness works, because I'm catering to their feelings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and I want to say I'm still. I'm still convinced there are other, there's other people to make the point I made that point with mm-hmm. other than Connor. Mm-hmm. And if I had to do it again, I would have made the point with them and not Connor.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I don't know, man. Tell,
0: tell me, is is that, is that as complicated as I'm making it or is it more simple and I need to see something different?
2: No, I, I think that you're on target. I think that in our discourse— about politics or about race or whatever, uh, there has always been a desire to center the feelings and desires of white people. Um, yeah, and I, I think that D'Angelo deals with that wonderfully in her book, uh, White Fragility. Uh, mm. That um, you know, oftentimes what gets lost is black pain, right? A black black pain and black grief is often framed as those angry black people, right? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what right do they have to be angry? You know, think about how arrogant and how white supremacist that sounds, uh, that, that, uh, the pain and the pathos of black people, uh, would be interpreted somehow as illegitimate anger. uh, Um, whereas, uh, the anger, of white people specifically white men is portrayed as being uh a source of valor uh an example of patriotism uh for instance those those white men who stormed the capitol on January 6 2021 mm-hmm. right uh they have been called patriots now can you imagine that people seeking to overthrow democracy are called patriots By individuals who want us to see them a certain way, whereas they want us to see black and brown people another way.
0: Yeah. 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 Such a good point. Um, Well, let's, let's bring it a little closer to home and a little, um, maybe like, what do we do here? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I mentioned the NRA convention was in my town over the weekend. Mm -hmm. There was an, you know uh, two or three shootings in Louisville in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, there was 20 people, four people killed, 20 people injured in Alabama. Mm -hmm. There was that. I don't know if you saw a story about that, that, uh, black kid who got shot on the porch in Kansas city.
2: Wrong house. Was that the (sighs) wrong house one?
0: Yeah. Wrong house. It's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to replay everything. We can search all this up if you, Mm -hmm. if you don't know what we're talking about. um, but but uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. uh, there there in in Indiana, uh, there were about forty school districts that canceled in person classes Friday because they received emails threatening uh, bombs, mm-hmm. and and we got an email Friday morning that was like, hey, we got we got the same emails. Our school was like we got the same emails everybody else got, mm-hmm. um, but we've decided that. This is incredible, and we're not canceling class. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I had to look at each other and go, are we sending our kids to school? Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I was like, this is nuts, Joel. Yeah, yeah. My my friend Christy today, uh, the uh, the Monday after that, Friday, as we're recording, she had the same thing. A bomb threat was called into her son's high school in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And she had to, her and her husband had to look at each other and go, are we going to? Is this just somebody messing around, or is this mm-hmm. credible? What, do we send our son to school? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about well, growing up. I know you're, um, you and I are pretty much the same age. And, um,
2: you're too did, kind.
0: Pretty much <laughs> the same age.
2: Yeah. I'm I better.
0: mean, once, once you get over 40, it's all... You know, I, all relatively. It's <laughs> all relative. Uh, and you look good. What did you say to me? You said you look... You said something like, "I said you look really good," and you said, "Crack, uh, black don't crack, black
2: don't crack." Yeah, yeah. That that that's an old colloquialism within black communities that you know we, we tend to age better, uh, which yeah. which is uh, I guess poetic justice given what we've been through. Oh, Lord have
0: mercy. Um, but I I was thinking about when we were kids, Joel. We we did you do you remember doing the um nuclear bomb drills?
2: I do. I do vaguely remember that. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I, what I remember is we would get up out of our chairs. It was pretty much like the tornado drill.
2: Mm-hmm. We'd
0: grab the quote biggest book we had, and we'd go into the hallway, mm-hmm. and we'd 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 sit on our butts, and we would put our head between our knees, and put our book over our head. And I remember thinking, "I I think I've seen a nuclear bomb go off, and this this will not help."
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, So it was in the middle of the Cold War. It was kind of the Red Scare. But Mm. here's what I, I remember, this won't help, but then I remember thinking it doesn't matter anyway because we're not in really any danger. Mm -hmm. I never, I remember thinking I'm not really in any danger from a nuclear
2: bomb. exactly.
0: We're just doing this because, I don't know, we're just doing this. Mm -hmm. But my kids are growing up in a much different world.
2: Much different. Much different. Yeah, it's a world in which violence is glorified, uh, it's a world in which violence is normalized, and it's a world in which violence is weaponized against those who are the oppressed, right? So yeah. so, 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 violence in the hands of white males, uh, generally speaking, is seen as a good thing or at least redeemable in some way, but violence in the hands of other individuals— you know, is is egregious. And so, mm. yeah, it, it, we, we live in this society in which my three children have to worry about their schools being shot up or their place of business being shot up. And that should not be the case. And, you know, you, you raised a point at the outset of our conversation how there are individuals who think that more guns is the solution that, um, you know, a good guy with a gun can save yeah. the day. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Well, if if listen, if more guns was the solution, we would not have our current problems because there is a proliferation of guns in America uh, such yeah. that, you know, we have more firearms in America than the other industrialized countries have. Uh, yeah. And as a consequence of that, violence has risen, right, uh, in proportion to the amount of guns. And so it, it really is a nonsensical argument to say that more mm. guns is the solution uh, when we have a situation where those other industrialized nations do not have near the gun problem that we have. right? No,
0: and— and, and and actually, there's there's more evidence that when, when they did have mass shootings, they enacted um, more restrictive regulations mm-hmm. and gun control laws, and mass shootings massively declined.
2: Massively declined. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, so we have data. We have mm-hmm. data not only do less guns make us safer. We mm. have data that more guns make us more susceptible or or vulnerable to violence. Mm-hmm. And we have data that gun laws work –
2: Mhm. That's right.
0: They they reduce mass shooting. Now, uh, and so this should be a no-brainer. Mhm. Ex- except that as we talked about things like the second amendment. And I want to say something about freedoms and rights too. Uh-huh. Cuz I I caught this at the uh, convention. Mhm. That uh Trump um the, the freedom is f- freedom in the NRA is the right to carry. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh and not only the right to carry but it's the right to um Sometimes it's the right to, like, carry without a permit and mm-hmm. and uh, and concealed. That's right. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. So sort of like anywhere, anytime, mm-hmm. any person has the right to a gun. Right. Um, and I think that this fundamentally gets, from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. now from a white nationalistic perspective, yeah, that's what freedom means. Freedom right. means I got to do what I want, where I, when I want, sure. and no one can stop me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to a Christian, that's not what freedom means. That's not what it means. Yeah. So, would we, maybe help us understand then how, uh, for a Christian, mm-hmm. we we need to we need to actually contend for the truth of true freedom, mm-hmm. and 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 that means opposing the way that the NRI wants to bastardize. Yeah. Really, that yeah. word. So, s- speak a bit to true Christian freedom.
2: Yeah. So the Apostle Paul, of course, spoke to true Christian freedom to the church at Galatia, right? Uh, in the book of Mm -hmm. Galatians. And I love the way he frames it, uh, that we are not to use our liberty as a license to sin, and that uh, we are free to serve. We are free uh, to exercise responsibility uh, and accountability to our brothers and sisters. Uh, And so the kind of freedom uh, that is a Christian ethic uh, has to do... With humble service to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to other human beings, it does not have to do with self-centered entitlement. So there's a difference between freedom and entitlement. Entitlement entitlement says, I want what I want when I want it, right? I should be able to carry, I should be able to uh, bear arms with no restrictions or with minimal restrictions. And notice that it's I, 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 rather than looking at the we, right? Because all throughout scripture, Old and New Testament, and specifically in the book of Acts, we see that there is an emphasis on Mm. the we and not the me, that there is an emphasis on the common good and not what is going to fulfill my selfish whims. And, you know, when, yes. when I look at the preoccupation with guns, uh, it is, in effect, idolatry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. right, in chapter 20, verse 4, uh, says that we should not have any graven images or we should not be worshiping anything uh, that is made in our image or that is uh, made to fulfill our selfish Whims, and so that would include guns i think that that sadly many professed christians are engaged in gun worship right yeah. uh and they they want to elevate the second amendment uh to inspired writing in in in, in the way that they uh affirm the bible as being inspired and 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 mm. and i think that's that's blasphemous i think that that is um, inappropriate to frame, Mm -hmm. uh, as, as, as much as we love the constitution, the bill of rights, the declaration of independence, uh, as much as we appreciate the right to bear arms that is codified in the second amendment, the second amendment is not greater than the second commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so, uh, you have Christians, uh, who talk more about Uh, the second amendment and the perceived rights that come from that, as opposed to the greatest commandment, which is the love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the second is likened to it, that is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, that requires of us that we do what Paul instructed in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. That we should not look only to our own interest, but look to the interest of others. And yes. so, and so, this this overemphasis on uh, gun rights and my rights and uh, what I deserve and what I'm entitled to really is the antithesis of what the Apostle Paul and others talk about in Scripture. Uh, that that freedom uh, is uh something that we celebrate in Christ that we have in Christ but how we celebrate it is fleshed out in how we fulfill our responsibility to our brother so it's not just yes. about it's not just about what i perceive to be best for me uh it's about uh how what i'm thinking about is ultimately going to be a detriment to my brother or my sister
1: We'll be right back Let's get
0: back to the show. So really to just, to summarize what you said, Joel, um, freedom is about being free to love, Mm -hmm. not free to do what I want. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's free. It's being, it's being actually sometimes it's being freed from the tyranny of my wants. That's right. So that I can love.
2: There you go. There you go. Right. That's Right.
0: (laughs) Right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, so that's. So, I think we have to. I think we have to be savvy and really, really oppose the co-opting of Christian language mm-hmm. to advocate for things that are antichrist.
2: Yeah, and we see that really big uh, with Christian nationalism, and that yeah, you right. know you have yeah. this bastardized version of Christianity. That people want to be privileged, and and that version of Christianity is really no Christiani- Christianity at all,
1: right? Mm. It it it, mm-hmm. it, it
2: is uh, nationalism with religious symbols. It is nationalism with a particular political agenda uh, that privileges the few and oppresses the many.
0: Yes, yes. Well. <sighs> Maybe we can—I you, you I, I mentioned states'
2: rights earlier. Yes, yes.
0: And you said uh, you wanted to put a pin in that. Yes, and yes. I, I wanted to give you a chance to say what you wanted to say there.
2: Yeah, so you talked about dog whistles before, and I think we need to also look at the fact that certain terms and certain phrases are used, and they're being used supposedly— for one purpose, but there's a deeper underlining purpose. And so when you look at states' rights, you go back to the Confederacy and you go back to the fact that you had certain states that wanted to secede from the Union. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there was an emphasis on, you know, we want to maintain the institution of slavery. Well, what was slavery all about? It was it was race based chattel dehumanization of black people. Okay, yeah. it, it was it was this premise that that black people could be owned by others, uh, specifically white men, and that uh, the states that were wanting to pull out of the union, uh, they wanted to maintain uh, their independence from. The belief that there ought to be equality. They wanted to maintain their independence from the belief that there ought not be slavery. Uh, And so when you look at the term states' rights, uh, it is often used uh, as a pseudonym for white supremacy. Okay? Uh, And it's interesting that some of the very individuals uh, who are known to employ the term states' rights. Now are trying to use the federal government, the wheels of the federal government to uh, restrain uh, the rights uh, of individual states. And so really, it's 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 only states rights uh, in the situations that promote their particular agenda. Uh, and and again, that that term is is often a pseudonym for white supremacy.
0: Yes. Yes. It's also, I would say, not a principled position. Mm-hmm. And we can see we can see the two things happened today, Joel, that maybe we can end our time with this. Mm-hmm. Two things happened today where you saw behind the curtain. The mm-hmm. first is, I don't know if you saw Governor DeSantis mm-hmm. uh, gave a speech. And in that speech, he talked about how he wants to uh, hold Disney World mm-hmm. to to regulations <laughs> for their parks, right? That he's not going to hold SeaWorld and um, Universal Studios to,
2: right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so it, we and I, I was so, gonna, so, go ahead, go ahead,
0: go ahead. Well, you go ahead now. Get in. on That's a juicy burger. Yeah, just take yeah, a bite. It, it, it
2: is. So, <laughs> so so so. Uh, it's interesting how people like DeSantis and others uh, who are on the right. Of the political spectrum, uh, they talk about deregulation, right? Uh, Deregulating uh, corporations, deregulating some of the very entities that contribute to their campaigns, right? That fatten their wallets. Um, uh, They they talk about deregulating uh, companies that have uh, really promoted environmental racism uh, by dumping toxins in black and brown and poor communities, but, but yet they want to employ regulations on those whom they deem to be the enemy. Right. Uh, because, and and it connects back to this issue of gun rights is that a lot of people, the reason why they're so preoccupied with gun rights, uh, is because they, they desire power. They desire control over others whom they deem to be inferior or those yeah. whom they do uh deem to be the enemy uh and also uh it is a a fear of the other right uh, yes you yes know, people who often uh are championing the whole issue of gun rights uh it is because they want to somehow uh protect themselves from the other whoever the other is to them
0: yes Yes. I think it yes. I think it also demonstrates that this limited limited government mm-hmm. and unlimited free enterprise and the free mm-hmm. market and let businesses do their thing. Right. That that is that is, that is language and rhetoric that serves billionaires yes who pay, who buy politicians mm-hmm. but as but as soon as it becomes politically expedient for those same bought politicians mm-hmm. to score culture war points going after businesses mm-hmm. by regulating them they will do it exactly so this this isn't about we have a higher we have a higher value of the free market, and we are principled people doing principled things. Nah. This is about mammon. This is about mammon.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Um, another another tell today, today uh, or yesterday when uh, Trump was speaking at the NRA,
2: mm-hmm.
0: he he was talking about uh, concealed carry and mm-hmm. how some states have concealed carry laws. You can't concealed carry, mm-hmm. and he was calling for new federal laws. To override state laws
2: to override that state limit
0: laws. concealed carry.
2: Right, right. Where's the Look, state's rights there?
0: Bro, what about <laughs> state's rights? Right, right. What about limited federal government?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, see, now, now, now you see, limited federal government mm-hmm. became a, a
2: rallying cry. It,
0: it became a rallying cry mm-hmm. when the federal government passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Mm-hmm. Segreg- segregationists were ticked off mm-hmm. that their schools were being integrated mm-hmm. that they could no longer ban people of color from swimming pools that mm-hmm. they that they that the federal government was coming into their towns right. and trying to bring justice and so states rights became a dog whistle that's right because the states that wanted the rights mm-hmm.
2: were white supremacist states exactly exactly yeah. right yeah. Yeah.
0: And now, what we're seeing now, what we're seeing is that some states have passed laws to make people safer that don't coincide and align with the white supremacist sort of ideology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens? Well, white supremacists want to use the federal government mm-hmm. to legislate and mandate mm-hmm. that concealed carry be okay there.
2: The, the same right. federal government that they vilified during the civil rights era. Of course, right. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Right. So,
0: so I guess I guess I want to just I want to say this to say like th- what we're talking about isn't just political. No, we're, we're talking I think about a deeply Christian thing here because it's what's moral. happening. It's, it's a moral thing, even if, Joel, our Christian brothers and sisters weren't getting co-opted into this, and mm-hmm. Jesus' name wasn't getting slapped onto it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But you come for Jesus, you're coming for me.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, so many professed Christians, rather than worshiping the true Jesus of Scripture, uh, they're worshiping this mascot whom they've created in their own image. yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a it's a Jesus of their political persuasion it's a, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's a Jesus of their color it it's a Jesus of their community it's a Jesus yeah. of their political party right and 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 Jesus is much bigger than that he, he cannot yeah. be limited to one political party. Uh, right. That that often professes itself to be Christian.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what ticks me off, and that's why I have juice for it. It's not that I think that uh, it's not that I think that Democrats are are more Christian. No, in fact, in fact, neoliberal neoliberal uh, politicians mm-hmm. who who all of them kowtow to the stock market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, and don't get me started on how like a higher stock price isn't good for you, me, yeah. employees, the community, the business is in. Right, when you're making money off of making money, things go downhill fast.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: That's how we get. That's how we get um, thirty thousand dollar a month uh, insulin payments.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you're making money off of making money, it's neither about health nor care.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Man, so man.
0: don't get me. St- it's about mammon. Don't get mm. me started on. I mean, what, so so this is. A, but 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 I have Christian brothers and sisters, and and there is a. I, when I'm a priest, man, I wear a collar around town. Mm-hmm. I mean, you scoot around town in that bow tie. Nobody knows you're a oh, pastor hi, unless hi, you hi. unless you God bless you. You yeah. know yeah. what I mean? But I'm wearing this collar. Right. People know that I'm a priest, mm-hmm. and they immediately assume things about about Jesus that aren't true. Yep. And I'm called to bear his name, Joel.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you know what I'm saying? We are called to bear his name, his authority, where we be-, mm-hmm. be as representatives. And I feel like I am constantly doing PR
2: deconstruction. Right, right. All the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: All the time. Yep.
2: That's right. Right. That's right.
0: And, and usually I'm saying that I know that's awful. I'm sorry.
2: I know. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many heinous things have been done in the name of Jesus. And that is continuing to this day.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think what what prompted us to have this conversation is there's this. I mean, mass shootings. were like over 150 uh, in 2023, which mm-hmm. is bananas, right? Mm-hmm. It's bananas. It's almost two a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we as we continue to have these over and over and over again, there is a psychological, social, moral, spiritual um, injury. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when my kids walk out the door and my kids are white, right? Mm -hmm. So when a police officer sees my kids, Mm -hmm. they wave and smile.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm feeling stress and fear because of the amount of violence and hostility Mm -hmm. that come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. in white spaces. Mm Um, and black spaces, mm-hmm. but that, that for the black community, I think is compounding mm-hmm. what already exists what already about exists. living in a white supremacist world.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, I guess I just share all that to say, like, I, I think that I, I don't, I don't necess- I don't necessarily, is that right? Nah, I don't. I don't have the resilience in my body mm-hmm. born of just living as a white man mm-hmm. to deal with this well.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like I, we actually have to develop it. I actually have to find it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So part of the and these conversations are part for me how that happens. So I appreciate you chopping it up.
2: Oh, I love it, man! I love it. Uh, it's so very much needed uh, that we have these honest conversations. You yes. Know, um, uh, oftentimes, people don't want to be intellectually honest. Uh, because they don't have the emotional bandwidth to be intellectually honest. Um, there is a lack of emotional maturity to confront issues knowing mm. that one of the persons you may indict is yourself.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Joel, we're not going to solve this tonight. I appreciate you being with me. I appreciate the conversation. Um, maybe uh, maybe tell us uh, where they can find uh, some of your writing, maybe your latest thing that you published, where they can track that
2: down. Sure. So all of my stuff now is consolidated in one space on my new website, which is acompellingvoice.com. acompellingvoice.com. I also have a YouTube channel of the same name
0: a compelling Dot com. All right Joel well let's pray and lament and act and speak yes as though uh, as though Jesus was resurrected from the dead.
2: Amen
0: all right See you brother. peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join.
1: You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
0: Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebbe. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message
2: and click the start recording button.
1: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.